Well, Eric asked me to talk about a woman of God 2.0, poise and power. And so today I want to share with you about how a, a woman can have poise and power with the Spirit of the Lord. And I want to talk to you about a woman who had both poise and power. Her name was Ruby Pop. When she walked into a room, the mood changed. All eyes would turn toward her, and she commanded a respect without saying a word. Ruby was not overweening in her demeanor, nor was she in any way harsh, but she somehow engendered admiration just by her very presence. Ruby stood tall and straight, and although she worked very hard for everything she had, she was not a presumptuous woman, nor was she arrogant. She was a woman who loved the word of God. She was a woman of prayer, the kind of prayer that doesn't trumpet itself, but rather the kind of prayer where a person slips into their prayer closet and cry it, quietly cries out to the Lord. Ruby had a grace and a humility and a beauty about her that was marvelous, and I admired her immensely. For Ruby Pop was my grandmother. Now, Ruby Pop was certainly not a perfect woman. There is only one perfect one. His name is Jesus Christ. And yet, there was something about whenever Ruby was around, everyone knew it. But it wasn't in a way where she was brash or harsh. I told a story first service about, um, I was at a family reunion one year. This was before I had become a Christian. And we were playing a game that involved um, beer and quarters. And um, it, it was a raucous party. Hardly any of my family um, are Christians. And we were having this crazy wild party. And all of a sudden... Ruby walked in, and it was as if everyone reverted to seven years old, and they all sat down and folded their hands. <laughs> and she didn't say anything. She, didn't, she wasn't judgmental. She just had a certain authority about her. And, you know, we see in Hollywood there are so many examples of women who have power, women who have influence, women who have a certain kind of poise, but they use it for their own devices. They use it in ways that manipulate and dominate and snuff out, right? You can probably think of some examples. And the thing about power is that it is the capacity or ability to direct and to influence the behavior of others or the course of events. We can use our power either for positive purposes or for negative purposes. In the same way, poise is a way of having a sense of peace about oneself, knowing, knowing oneself and being comfortable with who you are. And there are also people that you can see in media or in Hollywood, women who seem to have poise, but underneath it, there's a very kind of a selfish, controlling, and a manipulative manner. You know what I'm talking about? Now, the Proverbs 31 woman 
had both poise and power. It says in Proverbs chapter 31, and, and Proverbs 31 is about a woman, again, not a perfect woman, but a woman who honors the Lord. And it's a whole list of things. And I, I used to not like the Proverbs 31 woman very much because she really convicted me because <laughs> I just knew I, I sure wasn't her. Although it does talk about servant girls, and so I've always told Eric, you know, I could be the Proverbs 31 woman if you got me a couple of those servant girls. But it says in Proverbs 31, uh, verse 21, by the way, if you do not bring, or if you, if you have a Bible, I would really recommend that you bring it to church with you. Um, actually, I would recommend that you have it with you at all times. If you have a smartphone, you can, you can download Bible apps. People often accuse me of texting in church, and I would say, I'm looking at my Bible most of the time. Sometimes I text in church. But anyway, um, Proverbs 31, verse 21 says, When it snows, she has no fear for her household. It says she is clothed in fine linen and purple. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now, conversely, the Bible talks about the foolish woman. Proverbs 31 is the wise woman, but the foolish woman in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, it it says, folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat of the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. And simple doesn't mean simple as in plain. It means simple as in not very bright. You know, the Bible contrasts wisdom and foolishness. It says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. But that wisdom comes through what? Who knows? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And that's not like a, oh, I'm so scared of God, which we could be, right? But the fear of the Lord means that we revere him, that we honor him, that we have awe of the one who created the heavens and the earth. I love that song, you, you hold the universe. You hold the universe. Ah, it's amazing to me that that is the God that we serve. And you know, these two women, as, as we contrast them, they have the ability to have both power and poise, but how they're used is determined by their source. You know, we are all mandated to surrender our power to the Lord, to bring him honor and glory. And in the Bible, there's a, there's a comparison of two queens in the book of Esther, which Interestingly enough, you know, Esther never mentions, the the book of Esther never says the word God, yet throughout the whole book of Esther is woven the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Actually, through through the entire Bible, it's all all pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. But in Esther, it, it talks about this king who was named Xerxes, and he had this very beautiful wife named Vashti. 
And King Xerxes threw a big party. And now when they had parties, they didn't just have a party for one night. You know, we go, uh, parties from 7 to 10 or 7 to whatever. In those days, they would throw a party, and it'd be like a whole week. Imagine having a budget that you could afford to have a party for a whole week. Well, when he was in the midst of his party, it was just men that were there. And he decided that he wanted to show off his beautiful wife. So he called his eunuchs. It says in Esther chapter 1, verse 10, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his seven eunuchs, and it names them all, and I can't pronounce them, so I'm not going to try. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king to bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and princes, for she was very beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered to him by the eunuchs. The king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. The king said to his wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king to speak before all who knew law and justice and were close to him, and it names them, the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first place in the kingdom. Quote, According to the law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Xerxes delivered by the eunuchs? And in the presence of the king and the princes, Memucan said, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, oh, queen's, or King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in his presence, but she didn't come. This day the ladies of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. So you see, this one decision by this very powerful woman created all of this uproar. Now, I, you know, you can debate whether or not she should have submitted to the king by coming in, letting him show off, and, you know, you can go into all of that. But the difference between Queen Vashti and the one who replaced her, who was named Queen Esther, is dramatic. Because Queen Esther came, and there was a plot to kill all of the Jews. And Queen Esther herself was Jewish. And she decided that she was going to go into the king, even though you were never allowed to go into the king unless he summoned you. But she decided that she was going to risk it all. She said, if I perish, I perish. But I need to do the right thing. And so she asked everyone to fast and pray with her before she went into the king. And the king summoned her and said he was pleased with her. And she came in and she made the request that he not allow the Jews to be destroyed. Sound familiar? And he granted her request. Now, you see, she used her power and her poise to bring life and to bring health. You see, this is the power of a woman. And I am going to talk today about how to be a godly woman. And I, I just want to make a disclaimer. I am not standing up here as one who has arrived. I'm not standing up here talking down to you saying, well, maybe someday you too can be as godly as I. <laughs> that is not my heart at all. I'm still 
striving for these things too. Not striving in a legalistic way, but I desire the things of the Lord. And I want to talk about the woman of God, 2.0. And she has power in, my first point is, in herself. Not power to dominate others because she puts God first in everything. She knows that everything she does is between her and her maker. And my second point, she sets a very high standard based on the word of God. And again, I am not talking about a legalistic thing. You know, I always say, I'm not smart enough to have my own opinions. I base everything on what God's word says. Because I know that God's word is true. I believe that with all of my heart. And, and the woman of God knows that God's word has the answer for everything. Everything. It says he has giving us, given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it's all found in the Bible. So again, I know that I, this is my little soapbox. But if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know God, you have got to know what the Bible says. Especially as women, we are easily deceived. We need to base everything on what the Bible says. The third point, again, I, I said that she knows whatever she does is between her and her, her maker. The things that she watches on TV, the novels that she reads, the words that she speaks, what she wears, how she acts, these things, it's all between her and God. You know, it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully his. And when we really want to honor the Lord, we need to understand that it is between everything we do, what we think about, the things that we take in, it is all between us and God. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Excuse me. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. Neither do they have storehouses or barns. And yet, God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Letter D, it says that the woman of God is self-controlled in thought in word and in deed. You know, I used to be addicted to anxiety. I was addicted to worry. I would lay awake at night for hours worrying, worrying about everything. And I can promise you, I can tell you that God has delivered me and God can deliver you because I began to see my worry as a sin. There I said it, the S word. (laughs) I saw it as a sin. Because the Bible says that we need to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, right? So what is worry? Worry is the opposite of what? Faith. It's the opposite of trust. And, And Jesus says, what can you do? What can you add to your life if you worry? How many of you have changed any situations by worrying about it? Testimonies? No? No, didn't think so. 
The thing is, when those worrisome thoughts come into your mind, you've got to reject them. Kick them out. In the same way that if you had a a thought of doing some heinous thing to an animal or to a child or a person, another person, you wouldn't entertain that thought. You would kick that thought out, right? In the same way, when you get those thoughts of anxiety and worry, they must be kicked out. And, you know, worry is the opposite of, of praise. The woman of God is self-controlled in her thoughts and in her words and her deeds. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Can we say that together? Do not be anxious about anything, but in By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The thing about this that is so significant is that thanksgiving is the opposite of whining. Right? Isn't it so much easier to come into God's presence whining? I mean, you look at the Israelites throughout the the Old Testament. How many times... Were they just whining and complaining and grumping? Right? And if there's anything you can get out of this message today, I want you to get the message that whatever is our natural tendency, our natural tendency is contrary to God's word. It's contrary to God's ways. And our natural tendency is to worry. Right? Our natural tendency is to complain. Right? But it says instead, it says that we should let our requests be made known to God. And then the peace that transcends understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Focus on these things. Focus on God's goodness instead of your situation, instead of worrying and stressing yourself out and giving yourself ulcers or whatever other kind of physical manifestations. Give thanks. Start out your prayer. God, I thank you for whatever. If you can't think of anything to thank God for, just open up the Psalms and begin to read them out loud. But thank God for his character. Thank God for who he is. Instead of focusing on what's bad and what's wrong. Right? Is this easy to do? It's easy, to, it's, it's easy in theory, right? But isn't it so much easier to go into prayer like, Oh, God, my life stinks so much. Really? It says here, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. God, I thank you that even though my life stinks right now, God, you have all things in your hands. Lord, I thank you that you're going to take care of this situation. Lord, I thank you that you're going to be glorified even though it looks so horrible right now. That's how you give thanks, but you're letting your requests be made known. And I have to say, you might look at me and think, she is so naive. She is such a stinking Pollyanna because her life is obviously perfect. 
Still your turn. <laughs> no, my life is far from perfect. I mean, my life is perfect because God has orchestrated it and he has, he has ordered my steps. But it's not because I don't have hardships. It's not because I don't have trials. It's not because I don't go through hard things. It is because I choose to entrust my life to the Lord. I choose to give him thanks, even in the midst of the trials. Yeah, you can applaud the Lord. In Psalm 24, point E, it says, The woman of God has clean hands and a pure heart. This means that she doesn't have any bitterness, that she's clear-minded, always believing truth. And I know this is another one of my little soapboxes, but I can just guarantee that if you have unforgiveness towards someone, this includes bitterness, resentment, and even slight irritation at the mention of their name. Or if you see them coming down the hall and you take a different path. (laughs) This is unforgiveness. And I guarantee you will not see people through the eyes of Jesus if you have bitterness against them. And again, our natural tendency is to look at people and see their shortcomings and to see their flaws, and to see their failures. Right? My pastor used to say it's so easy to see someone's sin and to point it out. It's much harder to walk with them through it. Our natural tendency is to be critical. Our natural tendency is to gossip. Our natural tendency is to have unforgiveness because they wronged me. I'm not saying they didn't wrong you. But I am saying that, again, go back to my very first point, it's between you and the Lord. Everything you do is between you and the Lord. And God knows our hearts. That used to scare me. Whenever I'd hear, oh, God knows my heart, oh, because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who could know? Which is true. But he also knows that my heart is to bring him honor. My heart is to bring him glory. And so if I have unforgiveness against someone, my new saying is, say less, pray more. Amen? Um, Yesterday was the state high school racquetball championships, and I coach a racquetball team, a high school racquetball team, and that's Kind of like my little mission field. Of, of everybody that was there, I think there were probably, that I know of, other than the people that came to watch my daughters play, it, there were probably only three other Christians there. And so this one is being recorded, huh? So I have to. I, there, there's a particular person there. I just have to say, <clears throat> she, I'm praying for the grace filter to start to kick in. She, she challenges my ability to love. Is that a nice way to say it? <laughs> I can't tell it like it is, Ben. That's my natural tendency. <laughs> There's a person there, and y- you know, whenever God puts that person in your life, 
we try to pray that person out. <laughs> but what Jesus, and if it's your spouse, then you need to repent right now. <laughs> but when Jesus puts someone like that in your life who, who uh, challenges you to love them, it's because he wants to show you what's in your heart. It's really not always about that other person, except that you say less and you pray more. This particular person, um, and I, I am praying for her, but a couple of weeks ago, um, she was slandering me within earshot of my daughter, and she didn't know that it was my daughter, and so she felt very free to unleash. And what would your natural tendency be? <laughs> right? Isn't that our natural tendency? I want to kick her up. Right? When you're, you know, yelling through your teeth, I want to kick her up. That's our natural tendency. And I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to go back to all the people that she slandered me to, and I wanted to say, no, that's not true. What she said isn't true. I wanted to do all these things. I wanted to take control of it. But Jesus was challenging me to let it go and to love her despite that, to turn the other cheek, right? Because my natural tendency is to want to go up to her and shred her. Can I say that? I did. I, I, I mean, but I decided at that point, you know what? I need to do this unto the Lord, and I need to love her. The Bible says, bless those that curse you. Pray for those that spitefully misuse you, right? And it says also that as a lamb was led before the shearers is silent, so Jesus uttered not a word. He didn't defend himself. Of all, of all people, Jesus could have said, hey, hey, wait, guys, you're crucifying me, and I haven't ever done anything wrong. Can you all say that? I mean, Jesus could have defended himself, right? I, I actually... I went on YouTube and I looked up what it means to shear a sheep. You know how loud sheep are? Have you ever been to the state fair and you hear them? <laughs> but when they take that sheep, as soon as they roll it back and they start shearing it, it just sits there. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It just like lays there. And it says that in the same way, we are not supposed to defend ourselves, that we are, we are supposed to bless those that curse us. The woman of God is spirit-filled, and you cannot be spirit-filled without knowing what God's word says. Because I am not talking about some crazy, Pentecostal, weird, one-time thing. I am talking about walking in the spirit of God every day on an ongoing basis, knowing God's word and instilling God's word into your steps. Galatians 5.16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, or the natural tendencies, that are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Wow. That packs a punch, doesn't it? These two things are opposed to each other. Our natural tendency, the things that we want to do, the way that I wanted to rip that woman in half. Wait, did I just say that out loud? 
that's really what I wanted to do, right? But this is opposed to the things of the Spirit. Being Christ-like is not necessarily logical. The Bible is full of paradoxes. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. The greatest among you is the servant. You know, if you want to save your life, lose it. You know, it's like losing your life for the sake of Christ. And this is also evident in the woman of God in her own home or among her family. You know, your true Christianity is revealed by those who know you best. It doesn't matter if you can put on the happy church face. Praise God, everything's great. Right? Anybody can do that. And I think one of people's biggest fears is a fear of hypocrisy. You know, one of the things that keeps people out of church is because they're afraid, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. Well, yeah, there, there are a bunch of hypocrites in church, right? But we're all in progress. We're all trying to change. We're all trying not to be hypocrites, right? You hear what I'm saying? Because we are fighting against our flesh. The flesh is contrary to the spirit. So there is a hypocrisy that comes with that because what we want to do, we can't do, and what we don't want to do, we keep doing, right? Romans chapter 7 right? And so with our family, they really know the things that we wrestle with. Proverbs 14.1 says, a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish woman tears it down. Now you can build your house. I'm not saying you can never, never have a problem and never do anything that, um, how do I say this? I'm, I'm saying you don't have to be perfect in this but you do have to be repentant, which means just to change your mind. Now, you might have a natural tendency to, to be critical, but the Proverbs say that reckless words pierce like a knife, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And in our family and our home or our closest friends, if you're not, if you're not married, if you have roommates, or um, even if you just your closest friends, who really know you, that is where your, your true Christianity is tested. Titus chapter 2 says that older women are to be reverent in the way they live, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Our natural tendency as women is to want to be in charge. We want to be in control. But the paradox is that if we try to control, we're going to lose control. We're going to be out of control. So when we surrender to God, when we continue to surrender him, we do it unto him. And now I'm going to talk to married women just for a minute. You are called to honor your husband, to respect your husband, even if he's a jerk. Okay? <laughs> no elbows, ladies. Self-controlled. Even when your husband doesn't deserve it, you are still called. This goes against our natural tendency, right? But we are called to build our home, not to tear it down. The woman of God speaks words um, that correct, train, and rebuke. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say that all scripture, again, the word of God, 
All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Again, this goes against our natural tendency to criticize or gossip or condemn. Ladies, if you are married, you are not your husband's teacher. Okay? I've said this before, that we are supposed to teach our children and serve our husbands not serve our children and teach our husbands. See the difference? We are called to respect our husbands, and sometimes that does take an act of faith. First Peter 3 says that if, if your husband doesn't believe the word, he can be won over without words when he sees the purity and the reverence in your life. Sometimes it is just between you and God. A woman of God does things to bring life to her family not destruction, not death, not revenge. Proverbs 31.12 says she brings him, her husband, but this does go across all relationships too, but it says she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. A woman of God has influence in her circle of, or in, in her circle of influence, neighbors, and the world. Excuse me, I mean the woman of God she serves and encourages. How many of you go to Starbucks? It's not a confession. Just How many of you go to Beans and Brew? Okay. How many of you go to the grocery store? Oh, come on. Seriously? Twelve of you go to the grocery store. Okay, <clears throat> wherever you happen to go, you should be that barista's favorite person. When you go to Starbucks, you should not be the person that they all start rolling their eyes going, oh, there's a lady that has to have her coffee at 145 degrees, or she'll send it back. You don't want to be that person. You are supposed to be the person who serves and encourages others and builds others up, and you model Christ. The woman of God has a good reputation with outsiders, the Bible says. Your neighbors should love you. Now, the only reason, the only reason that your neighbors should hate you is because you bear the name of Christ. That should be the only thing, and that you don't have any control over, right? That is a spiritual battle, right? But you should be, you should be the barista's favorite person. You should, when you go through the grocery store checkout line, and I know all of you do, put your cell phone away and look in the eyes of that clerk and bring them life. Encourage them. When you ask them how they are, wait to hear their answer. Because you don't know what's going on in that person's life. They're getting paid to put on the happy face, but that doesn't mean that that's what's going on in their heart. You should be the person they look forward to seeing, that, oh, good, she's in my line. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. The woman of God has Jesus as her model and not the world. Now, the closest I get to being a non-Christian is behind the wheel of my car. Anybody else? (laughs) We are called to lose our lives. And when that person cuts you off on the road, what do you want to do? What's your natural tendency? Right? 
Yeah? Anybody else? Just me. But we are called to bless them. Our natural tendency is to, I'm going to get in front of her and cut her off. Right? Isn't that our natural tendency? Something within us just rises up. It's, that's contrary to the spirit of Jesus. Who would, Jesus would be like, oh, go ahead. Cut in front of me. Do it unto the Lord, okay? Because that person certainly doesn't deserve to be in front of you, but it doesn't matter. That's not the point, right? The other day, somebody cut me off, and my daughter was in the car, and I was like, I mean, it was really rude. It was, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just stating a fact. They cut me off, and I was like, and I was like, oh, you person. (laughs) And Rebecca looks at me, she goes, "Mm, that's the best you got. (laughs) That was against my natural tendency. (laughs) The woman of God proclaims the goodness of the Lord. When you go through that grocery store checkout line and they see that something in you, the Holy Spirit who is at work in you, and they ask you, then take the opportunity to declare the goodness of the Lord. Tell them why. And you know, the thing is with your neighbors, I'm going to tread on thin ice here. Sorry, honey. He's like, getting in theological debates doesn't win people to Christ if they don't know that you love them. If they don't know that you care about their eternal soul first and foremost rather than winning the argument, we're called to be salt and light in the world. If you read Matthew 15 uh, or Matthew 5:13 through 16, it talks about us being the salt of the earth. And I looked up all of the uses for salt. There's like 63 uses that I could find. What are the uses for salt that you can think of? Say it again. Flavor. What else? To absorb water. Really? Okay, 64. (laughs) What else? To preserve things. What else? Oh, to melt snow. What else? How about to purify? What else? For flavor. (laughs) Water soft. Okay, so you see there's a whole bunch. That's what we're called to be. Not a water softener. But we are called. (laughs) I'm a water softener for Jesus. How many of you have ever picked up a salt shaker that didn't have the lid screwed all the way on? That is not the kind of Christians we're called to be. Okay? We're not, we're not supposed to be known as the obnoxious uh, rebel, or not, re- not rebellious, the obnoxious one who is always debating and fighting. Right? Just supposed to sprinkle it on to make it taste good. We're supposed to preserve to purify all of these things. And we're supposed to be the light of the world. It says you shouldn't hide your light under a lamp. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are not saved by what we do, but we do these things as a response to the love that we have for Christ 
who died for us. But we are supposed to do good deeds. We are supposed to bless. We are supposed to speak truth to people. But they have to know that we love them, and that's the reason that we are. Right? Amen? The woman of God also serves and blesses the body of Christ, the church. You know, Jesus is the head, but we are his body. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. The Bible says, don't forsake meeting together. There's something spiritual that takes place when we come together. And we are called to serve and to bless others with our time and with our money and with our spiritual gifts. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, that will you also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, listen here, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are the household of faith. The woman of God is integrated into the body of Christ. There is a strengthening that happens. You cannot use your spiritual gifts to see the grace of God released if you're not involved in the lives of people. And I just want to strongly encourage you. This is my little plug for getting involved in a small group. It's great to come together Sunday mornings. That's a great thing. But that's not walking with people on a regular basis. Get involved with other believers that can encourage you and strengthen you and build you up and remind you of God's faithfulness. The woman of God is integrated into the body of Christ, and she uses her gifts to demonstrate God's grace. First Peter 4 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The woman of God is also financially generous. She's generous with her time. She's generous with her talents and her spiritual gifts. But she's also generous with a tangible thing called money. Amen? And again, this, call, this, this calls us to be faithful. You know, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Faithfulness is not faithful like as in, wow, he's really faithful. He shows up for work every day at 7.30. It's not that kind of faithful. It's faithful. He is full of faith. He entrusts himself to the Lord, and we have got to do that with our finances. God has called us to be generous. This is another paradox. Okay? If you give, it will be given back to you. It's not like if you give, it's gone, like it is in the world. You buy that HD TV or whatever, it's gone. the money's gone. You've got the TV, but you give to someone else, you sow into the kingdom of God, you will reap in the kingdom of God. The Bible says we should use our worldly wealth to win friends so that in the end we will have a great reward. We are supposed to use our worldly wealth to win non-believers. You're not 
not supposed to be the person that goes to Applebee's and writes on the receipt, I give God 10%. Why should I give you 18? That's not who we're supposed to be. We should be the ones that when you walk, walk out of that place, the waitress is like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how much of a tip I got from them. Who knows? Who knows? Next time you go in there, you might get a chance to share Christ with that person. But it doesn't matter, even if you don't. There aren't ulterior motives. You're doing it unto the Lord. You're saying, God, 100% of what I have is yours. The tithe is a biblical thing. It's 10%, and it's a good place to start. But beyond that, you keep giving more and more, and God will continue to replenish it and give you exceedingly abundantly more. It is, a, it is a principle, makes no sense whatsoever. It goes against logic, but it is the truth. Luke 12, 19, I read this a couple weeks ago, 12, uh, 19 through 21. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. This is the guy that went and built the big towers. It says, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, you fool. I don't want God calling me a fool, do you? Ugh, scary. God said to him, you fool, this night your very soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what it says. Don't store up treasures for yourself. I mean, the Bible does say he has given us all things to richly enjoy, right? Don't be rich towards yourself and rob God. Use your finances for the kingdom of God. Entrust your money to the Lord. Give your waitress a big tip. Be generous. Be known as the generous person. This is an issue of faith. Do you see this? Money is a tangible exposure for what's going on in your heart. It reveals what's in our hearts. Trust the Lord. Be generous. It says a generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I just want to say in closing, if there is anything that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, when I begin to pray, I'd like to ask you to just come forward, not for anyone else's sake, but just between you and the Lord, if there's anything that the Lord spoke to you, I want you to feel encouraged because whenever the Holy Spirit brings conviction, the Holy Spirit provides a way out. There is always a hope that's attached. You know, what the enemy of our souls wants to do is say, oh, see how much you stink. See how lousy you are. See how lame you are. I, maybe he doesn't use the word lame. I don't know. Probably. 
It's probably too soft a word. But the Lord says, yes, you've fallen short, but I have provided a way out. Amen? Are you encouraged? Even if you're convicted? Are you convicted? I'm convicted. <laughs> Talking to myself. God is so good. God is so faithful. So as I pray, I just want to invite you to come forward and just lay it before the Lord, confess it to the Lord. If you need to confess it to another human being, I would recommend that strongly. Somebody you trust. Let's pray together, and then I just want to invite you to come forward and just bring it to the Lord and watch him do miracles in your life. He is a God of faithfulness. Father, we thank you so much for how good you are. We thank you, Lord, that your character is perfect. God, we thank you that everything that motivates you is for our benefit. We don't want to forget all of your benefits. Good and upright are you, Lord. You are a God of faithfulness without injustice. Lord, we thank you so much that your ways are not our ways, God, that the way that we think, our natural tendencies are so contrary to your ways. But Holy Spirit, we just invite you to fill us. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us strength. Give us strength, Lord God, to change, to get out of those natural ruts that we've built, those habits that we've formed throughout our lives. Lord, help us to think a new way. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, we just want to surrender to you. We want to give ourselves to you, Lord. And we thank you so much, Lord, that your promise is to heal and to restore and to make us whole. We just bless your name, Lord. We exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you that you have gone to the cross for us so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our own sins and shortcomings and transgressions, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you were made sin for us and crucified and sacrificed so that we could live. We thank you, God. We bless you and we worship you in the name of Jesus.